What's up? What's going on? Oh, not much. Just uh, waiting arrival of packages. Got little birdies active outside today. We haven't had some out there, or haven't had any out there in a while. But they're out there today. They look like little finches. I have no birds from my view. I do have a view of the largest tree in the front yard, but no, no bird activity. I guess they're way up. Speaking of flying things, a buddy of mine just installed one of those doorbell cameras. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of wasps on his property and at his house. He just lives in a house in a subdivision like most of us. But anyway, these wasps will fly up to the camera and they activate it. But it's wild looking. Like, you know how cameras... Um, like when you're watching something, like, I don't know, like a, when someone's recording a video screen and like, you can see it flashing because of the, mm-hmm. um, the shutter speed and all that, right. I guess because of that, you can see the actual wings moving on the wasps and they look like birds, but it was because they're so close to the camera. Uh, but they look like giant, like skydiving hawks or something flying in front of his camera. It's wild watch those pigeons they fly off you can see kind of their wings moving when it's just you know it's like when you're going down the road and you like a tractor trailer or something is to your right and the wheel looks like it's going backwards right. when you know it's not does what kind of camera is that i can't remember it, it wasn't like setup? a no it wasn't a ring it's a it different brand he got it at best buy it's mm. i don't know it's one of those things it's not one of these chinese ones that i have that they're probably sitting going look at this guy <laughs> i have all the, watching uh, my video Blink series from Amazon, which I've been impressed. Might be what he has. That sounds right. He came with like eight other cameras or something. Wow. Yeah, they have, he has batteries on some and others are plug in. I was like, what are you going to do? Climb up there and change the batteries on all of the ones? They're good for two years. The battery is? Mm -hmm. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, that's the, you know, the proposed, their energizer lithium, so they have a longer, and just keep in mind, they're only turned on at trigger. I was about to say, they must be uh, triggered or something. Also looking out the window, supposed to be watching storms, supposed to be raining, but right now I only see like half a cloud in the sky, so I've got no partly rains. cloudy. Do you like watching thunderstorms? From a distance. <laughs> I had a aunt who was terrified of them and she would freak out if it was thunderstorming but i've always liked it growing up we had a gigantic porch on our front yard i mean on our uh, front of our house it was so big that you could sit outside during a thunderstorm and barely feel the spray or anything and you get to sit there and watch the downpour it was great that's something lacking in the house i have now i wish i had somewhere i could do that i I guess i could do it in the garage but it's just not the same depending on the arrival of the storm because the house sits uh, on the on the street that I'm on, it's exactly at least in this portion of the street, exactly east and west running. So that puts them if I'm facing the street, coming from my right to my left, and because of trees and other homes, I don't have a lot of view of what's coming necessarily. Yeah, mine's probably the same way. I think storms tend to come from the north from where I'm at a little bit, like, like you know, coming from the north to the southeast, so they're coming from the northwest a little bit. Sometimes they don't, but you know how storms are. They can come from, except from the, like, they don't come from the east generally, unless it's a hurricane thing. No, I have had yeah. those, and those are usually something weird. But I, Yeah, it's something. The other option is, I've since I've Some looked, backwards rotation or something. Right. Since I look due south, there is occasionally, like, you see those, like, the train of green coming up out of the gulf. 
I will have mm-hmm. some storms that come straight up out of the south, and those tend, for whatever reason, right here, they tend to be very uh, sometimes difficult to deal with. I mean, and, you know, they're going to be a lot of wind and debris, but not always. Usually, just for a some lot of people, rain. It's, it's mesmerizing. They just love storms. Watching them, the downpour and trees sway and i like it but at the same time i am sometimes like mm. so ever since the tornado got close to us i've been kind of mm. i like the storm let's hope it's not too bad that's my sentiment i'm not necessarily afraid of it i'm just aware of it i used to be somewhat of a pseudo weather nerd at one point in time so i have a great deal of interest in it love looking but- at the radar and its formation but I don't get too wrapped up in it because it's to me it's fascinating because even with all of the science and technology, it still has an element of unpredictability where there's oh, seems yeah. to be other things in our nature, in our world of medicine and all that is it a little bit more predictable or where we can see like a steady improvement. We'll at least say it that way. Whereas this, there's still that element of, yeah, we missed it. And I don't hold any offense to that. I hate the people that right. do that. The weatherman got it wrong. It's like you fail to understand the complexity of what the atmosphere is. Right. Only time I get aggravated, and it's probably more the people who post things than the weatherman himself, is when they put a zero or a 100%, and then the 100 or the 0% thing didn't happen. It's like, okay, you said there was a 0% chance of rain today. That means there was no chance, and then it rained, or the other way around. I don't, you know, I don't get like super mad, but I just think it's funny, I guess. But speaking of mesmerizing, does any, did you, does anything mesmerize you? Like I, I don't know that anything does me. Like I, I'll get fascinated by things, but I don't just get like. You mean oh, like man. visually? Or anything. Visually. <laughs> audi- audi- what would you audio? think would be my answer? Mm, yeah, probably. I mean, I get things caught in the mind trap that I just can't let go of, if that's what you mean by mesmerized. Well, no, like more mesmerized, like hypnotized almost. Like just you're looking at it and just you can drift off looking at it. No, I guess I could listen to music and go to sleep, but that's not really like in like some kind of trance state. Like where you're watching something and you're just like you feel like you're in an altered um, state of consciousness or something. I don't think I've ever asked you this question in all the many times we've talked, so I'll ask you now. Do you ever find yourself getting stuck in a, in a in a gaze, which this may be exactly what you're talking about, and unfortunately for the interest on the other side, there's not necessarily a storm. There's not a, there's not a thing that's always there, but it's, it's just totally random. Like it could be staring out the window. It could be staring through the computer monitor and you just kind of get hung in this sort of like relaxed state of like fixed and you know, you're doing it and you, and, and you know, if you look around too much, you'll break it. So if you enjoy it enough, you'll just kind of maintain, but then there's that, I've got to do something or someone's talking to me. (laughs) You know, one of those things. I definitely do, but it's not, that's not exactly what I mean, but I do do that. It's more of a daydreaming thing. Like I'll be thinking about something else and just kind of daydream. I, I, I did it more as a kid. My teachers used to always on my progress reports, like, Eddie's a, dream, a daydreamer. I'm staring like, out the window. It's going to love this. Like, yeah, staring out the window and just thinking. And I wouldn't necessarily be thinking about going and playing. I may be thinking about what we're talking about in school, you know, but I would just be, you know, thinking about it in days and off. And it's, my wife um, does that sometimes. I give her a hard time when she breaks out of it. I'll be like staring back at her, <laughs> making the gaze face, it, the, um, the gazing face. I think it's um, 
for me, it's always like a pleasurable thing. Like it feels good. It feels like, um, you know, that feeling like you get when spring's first coming around and you first time you get out and you get in the sun rays and you feel them that usually can induce it where it's like this sort of like trapped in comfort. And um, hmm. doesn't mean my mind is numb or like asleep. I may, like you said, I maybe have a trains of thoughts going on, but it's like this fix. And then you get out of it and you're right back to the reality. Maybe that's what people mean by disassociative. I've never understood that. I don't know if I experience it just like you say. Probably not. I guess if I had to say yes or no, my answer would be no with the caveat that I do daydream, which is, I think, different from what you're talking about. Because I'm thinking about something else, not really. Yeah, you probably daydream while you're driving on like familiar, easy road, right? Yeah, I think I wouldn't. But, I wouldn't go as far as say daydream if I'm driving. If I'm a passenger, I do for sure. But I think what you're saying is more. Yeah, about, this would not be safe the, driving. Like I, right. <laughs> I minimize what I'm physically doing, but my mind is even a conscious of it. But yet it's enjoying like this sort of transfixed feeling. Mm, no, I would say I just daydream. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe uh. It would probably take, like, illegal substances to get me to be able to do that. Do you think you could be hypnotized? No, same reason. I bet I'm not highly hypnotizable, I think is how they put that phrase. I don't know. My go-to answer in the beginning was for sure that I'm not. But now that I think about things like being, I think it would literally have to depend on the mood I'm in and how I feel. Because most of my time, I've got a hundred trains going on the thought track at one time. I just don't think that's happening. But if I'm in a relaxed state and uh, I all this pre them trying to put me in a relaxed state, I think it might be possible. I just don't find that highly likely. I think, I think I am, it would take a lot for me to be able to do that because I am, uh, I would be resistant to it. Like I wouldn't want it to happen. Not that I'm scared of it or anything, but I don't. It. You're not a willing participant, know. which seems to be. Yeah, I would not be willing. Which yeah, yeah that, it's getting at the heart of this whole thing, whether hypnosis is real or not. Um, I think I think it's real, but I think it's not like what the cartoons told us what told us it was. You know, like right or the sitcoms, Scooby Doo, uh, and yeah, and sitcoms and right. It's it's more of a suggestive thing, and I think that it. I read some interesting articles. I think that it happens all the time. But it's more of like a behavioral suggested suggested practice. Like, and I, I was thinking about it, reading some of this stuff and watching some of these videos, how it's been done to me so many times, and how the results can be tainted as well. And we'll we'll approach this here in a second in a more organized way. But um, like you know, when you're at the doctor's office, and they'll they'll say things like, "Now you're just going to feel a little bit of pressure," and then they like insert an IV, and I'm like, "That was more than a little bit of pressure. That stinking hurt." And like, that wasn't so bad, was it? And you're kind of like, you have to say no, otherwise you're a big wuss. Or you're kind of like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. Although I do think that, like, the suggestive um, things they say, like, one of the examples, I think you read the same article where, like, say it was uh, at a war and they, like, have to amputate a leg and they tell, you know, they, the nurse is being, like, bedside manner, telling them, you know, this isn't going to be so bad. The pain won't be as bad as you think, or you're going to feel this. I think that that does help with susceptible people, but with some people, I don't know that it will. I think reading and and as we usually do, whatever topic we're going to dissect, kind of plowing through whatever we can find, it has made me think it more possible than less. 
Oh um, yeah, me too. Because I sure. think I had to like knock some mystique out of my mind of all right, because you, you, everybody has their mind idea of what X Y Z thing is, and then when you start exploring it, you either substantiate that or kind of break it down or change it in some way. And that was the case for me that it's it varies and it's not like something magical and you know all these different things. But the one truism is that some people are susceptible to it and some are not. Yeah, and it's not like you said. It's not. The important thing I want to say about this whole topic is I do think it's real in 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 the realm of it's a suggestive cognitive behavioral tool people can use but it's not the you're turning to a zombie and you're right. going to go do these tricks now I I think all of that is probably fake and definitely like we said a second ago not like what television or movies or whatever say Although there could be some suggestive evidence that you could do something like that to people. Um, I don't know that it would be like, what is it, the Manchurian candidate? I don't know if you can do any of that. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Maybe over enough time with brainwashing and so on and so forth. Um, so it's clear to but, me you have never witnessed anybody be hypnotized at some... That's correct. Uh, neither have when I. I. Got, when I got the idea of doing this as a topic... Um, I was out with a friend of mine. We were kayaking on the way back. I don't know what led me to think about it, um, but I asked him. I was like, because uh, at the time, I just thought, I didn't know if I thought it was real or not. I was just asking him. I was like, do you think, or have you ever seen anyone hypnotized, or have you ever done it, blah, blah, blah. I asked him all the questions. And he was like, no, but I can tell you it's real. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said he had a um, friend of his who, I knew I knew the same person. She was a very goofy person. Um, she was just, you know, always rolling her eyes, sticking her tongue out, just acting goofy. She had a hard time being serious about anything ever. This was super goofy. And so, and and you knew that. Like, she's the type of person that if you put her up on stage um, to act out like a movie scene, she would just mm. giggle and laugh the whole time and just would not be able to do it. No matter what, how hard she tried, it just wasn't in her personality. Right. Which I think the root of that is some type of insecurity or, or whatever, you know, um, which, I mean, I like the girl a lot. She, she was really cool. She was one of the favorite people uh, we both knew growing up or in college. Um, but anyway, so they were up on stage. He, he went with her. I don't know if it was to a show or if it was something in school or a class. I, I don't know, but they were supposed to do that. They were supposed to get up on stage and act out this scene. And of course she was being goofy and couldn't do it. Well, this guy who said he was a hypnotist, um, hypnotized her or gave her suggestions as how I've seen people say it in a lot of these articles suggested that she wouldn't be nervous just to calm down. She'd be able to say her lines and do the scene normally like a normal actress would. And then he like brought her out of it and he did that with some other people too. And my buddy said that she got up there and just did it like an actress would. She didn't giggle and it wasn't, he, he was like, wow. He was like amazed and said it just wasn't her. And he has no reason to lie to me about it at all. We were just talking, you know. Was this person um, like a magician or part of the show or just somebody I'm in the audience? I'm not sure. No, that did it to her? Yeah. It was part of the show. Like it was part of the, the whole thing. experience. I don't know that it was an entertainment show. I want to say it had something to do with, uh, they were both at the same university. It had something to do with school, I think. Right. But the the purpose was to try to hypnotize, to, to show people that it can be done or something. Um. And she got back to, and she, they were members of the audience. So she got back to the seat and sat down next to him. And he was like, well, like, do you, do you know what just happened? She was like, kinda. And he was like, well, do you remember all of it? She was like, yeah, but it was kind of like being in a, like a dream. And 
I would imagine she had no reason what, to lie or perpetuate this. No, she thing. wouldn't. No, and it, it just wasn't in her personality. Like, she wasn't trying to help the guy out. Like, he knew that they weren't they weren't approached beforehand to say they're going to be part of the show. And, you know, it wasn't like one of those deals. Um, and, neither, and neither one of them have any reason to exaggerate or do anything other than, you know, people just do that sometimes. Um, just a part of life. But so he told me that story a few weeks ago. And that's the closest thing I have to first person interaction with it now after doing a lot of the research and reading that we've done the last little while getting ready for this um it kind of poo-poos that idea that that can be done a lot of this stuff does anyway but they swear that it did and i just think maybe she is just more susceptible to suggestion and therefore it, it worked on her but when she described it as it was like she remembered it but it was kind of like a a dream state i mean that just could be her brain's way of getting past her anxieties. Like maybe it covered it up that way. Have you ever um, experienced that? Um, so when you give a talk, which has been a while, but you gave plenty of them. I know of the things you did, at least in mm-hmm. grad school with the president of fraternity and all. Do you, can you remember after you're done with those, if someone talked to you about what you said and all that, did you remember everything clearly or would you have said it's a blur? You see what I'm getting at? Like maybe just the intensity of the moment made it to where she could not recall some of that. I'd say it's in between. Um, I wouldn't say I remember it, you know, I can't is the reason I get to that. I'm thinking maybe that's her way of saying that. Yeah, Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I know when I gave speeches or had to get up in front of a lot of people, I mean, naturally everyone's nervous. I guess it just didn't bother me or I would just, maybe I hypnotized myself, which there's a cool phrase or a cool saying I read in one of these articles that I want to, or interesting that I wanted to say in a second. Maybe it was my way of just getting rid of that. I would say, that's no big deal. I'm just in front of all these people and they just want to hear what I have to say. Just like when I sit there and so I'd get up there and I would like, I don't know if I tricked myself into not being nervous or just genuinely wasn't nervous, but it could have been a form of that. I don't know. I think maybe her way of saying that is that I don't, I don't know. It's hard to say without talking to her specifically. I, I can just relate to that in the, the immediacy of, uh, I lead a men's group, if you will, at the uh, church I go to and, since I'm the leader and by no means I've not been to kind of the divinity school or, you know, formal Bible teaching. And not that my role is always like, you know, explaining things that are difficult or whatever, but it's just literally leading the group, which means I talk in front of them often. And afterwards I will talk to, because they're all my friends, some closer than others, but I always talk to them because I want to feedback. I want to know how uh, events we do go. I want to know how classes we do go. And I often say to them, I do not remember every element of this because I'm so nervous, but not in the scared way. Just like, uh, you know, something that's important to you, you want to go right. Um, it blurs my memory of it. I'm, I'm aware of it and I'm cognitive of it while it's happening. And I can remember that. But as far as the exact details of everything said, I don't always have that recall. That's it. Yeah. that. I have some version of that or had some version of it. It's been so long now. Well, even like, I don't know, talking to when I'm nervous now, having to talk to somebody, which is very far and few between, but let's say it's maybe a higher up at work or something. I get that a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I would, I would say you have a version of that. I have a version of that. And maybe that's all it is with her not remembering. It was just nerves perhaps rather than being in a trance. 
I think the intensity of whatever the thing is in your mind creates that. I don't know why, you know, it kind of goes against what we said about how people remember the car wreck and all the details and the noise and how it moves slow. But in these things to me, that's not the case, at least in the after effect when I'm trying to recall, like there's parts of my day I can recall just like a movie, but these particular like get togethers or classes or whatever, I can't, I remember it in fragments, even though it might've just happened two hours ago. In all your research and video watching and whatever you did to prepare. Did you run across official definitions? It kind of, this is kind of like another episode we did, which or really a lot of episodes where that's also part of the problem is just the language of saying what is and what isn't hypo, what isn't hip hypnosis. I propose two definitions. Well, one definition. I ran across two theories, but yeah. Yeah, there is the two theories. Uh, I just did the usual Merriam or Webster's or whatever definition that, you know, like to start any discussion or class with like whatever this is that we're talking about in a wording that's not mine or yours. And this particular one st- stated that it's the induction of a state of consciousness in which a person apparently loses the power of voluntary action and highly responsive to suggestion or direction. It is used in therapy typically to recover from suppressed memories and allow modification behaviors and has been revived, but it's still controversial. I definitely highlight that last part. That All was I saw the, the, the definition by like Webster's or whatever. I didn't look up a straight definition because I knew it would be something like that, or there'd be multiple versions. I just one of the um, sources had two types of or two theories, like the altered state theory and then this non-state theory. Like they don't think it's a state at all, and some think it's an altered state. I'm leaning more towards the non-state theory, sort of, um, but I'll just read those to you as well. The altered state theory says it basically leads to a distinct state of consciousness. Uh, your mental processes are effective, and you may not be aware of what's happening, whereas the other one says it's more like role-playing. It's a combo of intense focus and expectations of what it means to be hypnotized. So you're kind of um, playing along, or you are you have expectations of an outcome and you're kind of playing towards that. But I, I think these non-state theory people think that it's more of role playing. It's not really a, something that's really happening. I think it's somewhere in between and there. Think, probably it's a suggestion from what I remember of that, uh, particular side of it. They also stated again, backing it's a non-state it's, it's not like sleep. It's not there. It's not another right. state of your consciousness. It is, uh, maybe now I'm kind of just using my own words from what I've read. It's just a very into the moment. I would say relax, but that may not necessarily apply, but it might have, it might have to start relax so that you can kind of take on the role, so to speak. But then you just comply with this idea that, all right, someone's going to talk to you that you have confidence in either for a real reason, or you're just really trusting. One thing that was across the boards, um, everyone does seem to agree on um, is to be highly hypnotizable or whatever you want to call it, highly suggestive. You do have to be able to listen, focus, relax, and be willing. It's like a voluntary process. Be willing to let someone else um, suggest things to you and be open about it to be considered highly hypnotizable or to even be able to take part in it. And they say 10 to 15% of people, 
probably are that way, whereas tw- I've seen 20 to 25 percent are too resistant this was to allow this that to happen. Same statistics I saw as well, because I know I think I'd probably be in that 20 to 25 percent. They're just too stubborn. I mean, I, I don't think I could willingly. I would like to just to see how it would, you know, just to see if it would help with things right. or what it would do. But I think that my I'm too um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm too uh, critical about things. I don't I don't know, like. I don't know that I would be able to let my allow myself to be talked to suggestively enough without being um, this is fake in the back of my mind. Well, you know, being my problem that's very similar to yours, and that is I'm too observant, and by that I mean, you know, they kind of compared this to the placebo effect, where you know, doctors going to tell you to give give you this not real medicine and it's going to make you feel better, and then people just turn. In my opinion, that's where people just turn off the investigator of their mind and accept everything they were just told. Whereas I don't know that I accept anything until observation. So that in that case, I'm going to be this constant observer going, is it happening? Is it happening? You know, I don't know. Then if suddenly I start clucking like a chicken, maybe, but that's why I think I don't know that I'd be a good candidate is because I'm going to be, instead of willing to go along with, trying to let it happen i don't know if i can turn that off that kind of goes back to that dead cat gene that i've always joked about and that is i'm always exploring something in thought or deed and i don't know if that makes me less susceptible but i feel like it does i think in a double blind study the placebo effect might work on you because you wouldn't be able to know but speaking of the placebo effect i'm glad you said that because that there is no argument that that's real. That is a real thing that does happen in every double-blind controlled study that's ever been done. It's It's been proven over and over again that the placebo effect does happen. And if you don't know what that is, it's just you, in the context of medicine anyway, somebody's given a tablet or whatever um, or a, a type of therapy that doesn't do anything. It has no active ingredients, yet the person seems to get the benefits of what the active ingredient thing is supposed to do. And they call it the placebo effect. Um, but that's been proven in medicine for a long time, or well, at least long enough that it is a thing. There's also something called the nocebo effect, which I need to remember. I need to look up and see what that was. But I remember both of those are considered very real things. And doing research in this um, hypnosis episode, um, there was something I ran across called uh, top-down processing, which really explains the placebo effect, um, or at least the, a placebo effect is a good a good example of it. And also this top-down processing, which maybe we could do a whole other episode on, um, I want to dig more deeply into it, also kind of um, explains why two people could watch the same video and have opposite conclusions at the end. Um, so... Basically, what I saw a definition of what top-down processing is, is basically what you expect affects what you perceive. So the top layer of information um, is like your memories and your assumptions, um, things like that. They affect your perception. So your bottom level is the sensory inputs, what you're actually seeing, what's coming in through your eyeballs or your ears or whatever. Right. Um, but what you have learned in your life, the memories and the ideas and the assumptions that you have affect those perceptions um, to make a uh, – what's the word? To make a um, decision on what you just saw happen. Yeah, like a conclusion. So 
that I, that's that explains a lot of how um, these things maybe um, that people can look at one thing and, and see something, and then somebody else looks at it and sees a totally different thing because they base it off of their own life experiences. Right. But how that affects um, hypnosis is maybe they are they're more susceptible because they think they're going to be more susceptible or they think it's real so they're more likely to be easily suggested to and therefore fall under the quote trance of it did you look at any of that top-down processing stuff i think maybe you looked at more than i did uh, um, but it's two videos really interesting. about it and just to go back to the last one last thing to connect the dot here nocebo effect in a nutshell would be having negative effects or side effects to an inert thing oh, okay yeah yeah so instead of having let's say the trial is for depression instead of having some amount of relief of your depression this person gets nauseated by something that's known to nauseate no one it's just inert right okay yeah yeah that makes sense then both of those absolutely both of those i see it happen every day with with uh, patients, I mean, every day, both of those things work. It's, I think the placebo effect, there's a whole, uh, I don't want to get attacked by anybody, but there's a whole business model of these herbal ingredients out there on the shelf that exist because of the placebo effect, I think. And I'm not saying that that's bad. If the placebo effect works for you and you get better, then fine. I, I, I tell people that all the time. Like they, They'll come up to me and they'll be like, you mean I've been doing this for taking this and having all these things and there's no there's no reason for it it's just in my mind i'm like well maybe but if you're getting better maybe it, and i'll tell them like maybe it is really helping you maybe you're the small you know percentage of people where this thing has a good effect of you i don't really tell them yeah it's really just in your mind because if it's working then it's working right, right. i mean even if it is a placebo effect if they're getting you know getting um results that they need to get then i just let them get those results there's no reason to not i think do the that. same so can be said real thing. for um pharmaceuticals or, or physical therapy oh, yeah, or that's whatever what I mean. yeah, that yeah. if you are a if you're one of the people speaking to a patient don't say it from what, what most of us have and that's that real analytical mind of well this may happen and that may happen and i'm not saying to exclude side effects or anything but just say this is to help you with pain and or, or however you would want to word it, but do it in a way that's going to push them into the direction of the positive results. Absolutely. That way always, they already have the mindset of, Hey, this is going to help with some pain instead of like, well, it may or may not work because depending on how they view you, your tone, their mood, that might be all they take away and be like, yep, I knew it didn't work. Yep. Absolutely. And I know a lot of people who are that way. Um, like all these black box warning, I don't want to get too far off the subject of hypnosis, but all these black box warnings, um, which this all has to do with suggestive um, cognitive things anyway that you have to give out on certain medications. So black box warning is something the FDA says that you have to tell all people about because it could be a serious side effect. So when I tell people about these warnings, I let them know that they're possible, but I kind of make it seem like it's really rare and I highly doubt you'll, you know, you'll experience it. Um, but just be aware that it's possible. Right. But, you know, and I, you know, I make it sound like, you know, no one on earth really – Gets it, but just to be aware in a way in which I still want them to look for it. Right. But uh, some people get thing, get hangups to where they're like, oh my gosh, now I'm, I'm going to get tendonitis right. when I take my Cipro, you know, stuff right. like that. I don't, and, and so if you say be that, informative, like, but not you can persuasive. suggest to them, right. If you suggest to them, a lot of people get tendon tears when they take mm-hmm. Cipro, then they're going to think that they're, they have one and you know, they, they get suggested that. So I don't, you have to be careful the way you do it. And I think 
people who are easily suggestible, like the article said, are the ones that can be put under, quote, hypnosis or whatever you want to call it uh, more easily. That's my question. Out of everything that you've just been saying, I'd like to know out of all of the placebo positive results over time, I would like to know the susceptibility of all those people to hypnosis. My theory is they're definitely not in that 20% of the, exactly. of That's the what I not happening. Too. Absolutely. So um, while we're talking about the placebo effect, uh, one of the videos, I think it's the one I sent you, it talks about, and I've heard of this happening before, and I, I think it happens to me and you all the time, or I think it happens to everyone all the time. They just don't think about it, or they do think about it. It's like when you say don't get your expectations too high, or the bar is going to be set too high now for this. Um, there was a group of people who were given – Wine. It was they were given yes. two samples of wine. The exact same and wine. It was the exact same wine, but they were told one was cheap and one was expensive. And when at the end of the day, the people said they liked the expensive one better. And you can say there's a lot of other reasons, social things that may go into that. But what was interesting to me was the science part behind it, where they said that um, when they were told it was the more expensive one, the pleasure par- uh, processing of the brain became more active. So they were more physic physiologically open to tasting that wine and they already had expectations that it was going to be better so therefore to them it was better but also the physiological like the, the hard fact is their brain was processing it differently than it was when they thought it was cheap so they're picking up on more flavors which you would think would make it be worse rather than better in some cases but then again, you have also the social factors where they think it's supposed to be better. So mm-hmm. if they say it's worse, what are they? Some Neanderthal, you know, uh, or however that's, I think Neanderthal is actually not pronounced with the TH. It's Neanderthal. <laughs> but anyway, they think that, you know, there's some unsophisticated person if they don't say what the expectations is. But the whole point of what I'm just saying for the third time is there was science that showed part of the brain that um, op- opened up more. That's for your processing for things like that, which I thought was really interesting um for nerds out there who want to know what part of the brain that is it's the medial orbital frontal con um, cortex and this is uh, the, that, where they received really... like pleasure or or that it was a good thing I, I didn't say that it was a pleasure center it just said it was a yeah yeah it was a pleasure processing okay. part of the brain became more active and um, that was so less active in the it was the negative yes. it just yeah there was an activity but when they were told it was expensive the pleasure center had more activity. And these were all hooked up to a MRI. Like I think it's called Functional. an FMRI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And you, they could see the activity in the brain on a screen, um, which to me, if that can be turned off and on, then absolutely all of this is real. It's not a magical thing though. It's not like look into the spiral right. or watch this watch and they have some kind of magical power. Unless you really like watches, <laughs> which I do like watches, but, um, I know you do too, but that'll be a whole other show. Um, what was that quote? Uh, I don't know if I told you about it. Um, it was, they basically said it's a possession that uh, something that we all possess. It's just these magicians or hypnotists just kind of, it's like a, you know, a fake salesman They're we're, they're selling it to us and we're just buying it back under a fancier label. I saw that quote, something like that. I just butchered that quote, but I thought that was excellent. I think I wrote it down somewhere. I'll read it back when I find it. But the fact that there is science that shows when you're told something, part of your brain activates and therefore, your experience of it is going to be different because after all your brain just is a processing center. And if you're activating different parts of it after being suggested that something is going to be different then it, and it is different, 
um, means that this stuff, there has to be some truth to being able to do that to people. This, this explains something that I have always been curious about because I feel like even as a young, young, young person, I have always just looked at things in my view of myself analytically. Like the what I'm getting to is the ambiance of a place and all of the things yep. that would be a restaurant experience, for example. I just like, what, what in the world does that have to do with that? And it doesn't for me. It, and, and it might tomorrow, but def, definitely looking backwards because I look, or you don't know it does, but yeah, keep going. But I because I never did have because the whole time I kept you know examining everything, so I never allowed myself to even go towards that effect, if you will, because I'm like not poo pooing it necessarily, but like just constantly picking at it, going. I like to be able to see the menu. I don't need the dim light. You know, all these things that are all about mood and things like that, that I do have, I will say I have gained more appreciation for now, but definitely as a young person or even a young adult, I just looked at everything like, why is this here? I knew the general purpose. I wasn't oblivious to it, but thinking, how does this make mistake taste better if I can't see it? <laughs> but the I idea was, of what people wanting to relax and enjoy yep. an expensive meal, or I, like, I get all that now. And and for the masses, I see how that is a result. Or yep, can it lead is. To and results. Like they talk about plating and all these cooking shows and, you know, make it look appealing before it is appealing. And right. to me, when I was a kid, and I would, I mean, something could look terrible, but I would try it. And if it was good, it was good. Um, But I see that so often now. Of course, you know, I have a very... I don't know if accepting is the word, but I like to try all kinds of food and right. just things in general. So a lot of things don't turn me off, but I have seen where um, just the look of something, someone thinks it's going to be better because of the way it looks. It is better to them. And, and that's like, look. there's no way that you think that that rib is better than this rib. You just want to think that, or it just looks better to you on the plate. So therefore it's better. Um, and that's a real thing. I mean, you know, I'm sure there have been cases where they've given the exact same food on a plate and made it look cool on the plate, the presentation, and then not. And the person liked the present, the one with the good presentation better some, for some reason. And, and the opposite is true to a degree, I think, nowadays, because I'm going to really be shocked if you tell me no to this. But there's this idea of and you're in a town you've never been to. Or maybe it's one you've been to before, but you want to get like food advice or opinion from a local person or whatever. There's this notion, of, and I don't even know where we were talking about holes earlier in the show, but there's this notion of the hole-in-the-wall restaurant, meaning it's not flashy, but they're known for good food. And right. it tends to be in those environments, they're not dirty and as an unsanitary, but they're not fancy or they're not, you know, set up in a way to mimic any of those because of whatever reason. So you have that sort of in your mind. There are places where I know when I uh, was in school that or were known for their ribs. And one point in time, the place had a dirt floor. It didn't in the years that I was there, but way, way back, people talking about the history of it. And you, and you just get about Freddy's. No, I uh, can't. <laughs> the name I can't recall at this moment, but it's a real famous rib place. And they uh, are known for at least at the time of serving everything on a paper plate. So it's kind of like you already have that expectation. So maybe if you go to one of these kind of venues where you're looking for this sort of not elaborate, but really good at whatever the thing is, that if you went in and it was clean and sterile or some kind of a mid-grade between fancy and dull, 
you might be like, oh, this is not exactly what I expected at all because you're expecting something slightly dirty but has immaculate food that when your expectations aren't met, then the food might taste different. Absolutely. But I think it can go the opposite way too. Like let's say you go in and it is a hole-in-the-wall place and you didn't know that they served excellent whatever. And you go in and you're like, oh, my God, this place is terrible. Look at, oh, my gosh, what have they dragged me to? And then you try the food and the food is so good. Blows your mind. That, yeah, because the place is so bad that maybe you think it's better than it really is in some weird backwards way, like opposite effect of what it should be. So I think, I think you get a, all you get a wing surprise at a place that's known for being a Mexican restaurant. If I recall, yeah, yeah. you really love those wings. They were fantastic. Some of the best I'd ever had. And I thought it was weird. Like, you know, all these places have these other things on their menu. Like, what is this doing here? Um, but, yeah, I got some wings at that place. It was supposed to be a Mexican the restaurant. The best pizza you can get is at a Chinese place. Fantastic. They were probably the maybe the best I've ever yeah. had. And that was a nice surprise. I need to come back over to that place and get some more. Yeah, that, well, I think all their food is good. But there's been more than one person remark about their wings. And I don't know they're quite known for them yet. So all of that being said, basically what these studies and these, uh, I don't know if you want to call them theologians or whatever, are saying is a person who is more open to suggestion can therefore have their expectations tweaked. Um, so it comes down to, I wouldn't say an open-mindedness, because that's thrown around differently than what, uh, it's thrown around too much, but that's different from what we're, we're meaning, and I think in this circumstance, susceptibility. Um, yeah, they're more susceptible to it for whatever reason. Did you um, run across anything the Stroop test? I've done it before, and it is difficult. Yes, where, I have, I've taken one myself. Yeah, where like I say, a screen flashes up and it has the word yellow or red, but the you're what you're supposed to do instead of read the word. Let's say it was yellow, but the 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 ink. It was like big block letters of the word yellow, but the color of the word yellow is red. What you're supposed to do, instead of saying the word spelled out, which is yellow, you're supposed to say the color of the ink, which in this case was red. And man, that was, that was it is difficult to do. Um, but did you see that where they suggested to the people that study where yeah, they the were hypnotized or yes. however you want to call it? We'll say they right. had suggestions about it and it like uh changed their programming if you will Absolutely. to such a way that yep. they only would recognize the ink of the font and not the words yeah. like it, it Under, basically taught them to disregard the words as gibberish yep. so they hypnotized two groups of people um and when we use the word hypnotize we're just it's a general thing you know um they hypnotized them first and told them that they were going to be given the stroop test later but what they told them was that when they were given when they were going to be given this test um that the words were going to be just gibberish, that they weren't going to mean anything. It's just gibberish words. All you need to do is say the color of the letters, like whatever the words up there, it's gibberish. It's not real. Say the color of the letters. So the two groups, there was what they considered highly hypnotizable. And there was a group that was less hypnotizable. So a few days later, they hooked them up to another fMRI or something like that and gave them the um, Stroop test. But what they what they saw was the people who were in the category of what they considered highly suggestible um, under hypnosis performed a lot better 
on the test. So in other words, the people who can undergo hypnosis better, they believed the fact that they were told the words were gibberish. And so therefore they didn't focus on the word. They focused on the color. They were able to, dis- to disassociate in their mind the actual reading the word, comprehending it. They were just looking at the color. They they believed that the word was gibberish or I don't know if believes the right word, but they considered it more that it was gibberish and just saw the color and they performed much, much better than the people who they considered. I think it just programmed them to disregard the words, period. Yes, but the two groups, the thing is they they both performed the way you would expect. The non-hypnotizable um, people, even though they were put under hypnosis, they still they had trouble disassociating the word yellow and saying red or whatever it was um, than the people who were highly um hypnotizable and they also had them hooked up like i said to the fmri or something like that and the part of the brain that um is responsible for language or for perceiving things like that turned off yes there were huge measurable differences in the two people so the people that were um, highly hypnotizable or performing well on the test had less activity or no activity in that area of the brain whereas the other people didn't so therefore they were having conflict with seeing the word yellow and saying red so it's crazy that they can just be suggested something, but then it has a real effect. So at the beginning, when I said, I think this is real, it just shows you that you can suggest something to somebody and there's some way that it may work. So I think that it can be done and it can be applied maybe, I don't know, medicinally, or it can be used at least to a certain extent to help people with issues. There's also some stuff about helping people with amnesia and how they're using it in studies to, uh, for real dissociative amnesia or temporary amnesia, how maybe hypnosis, how those areas of the brain actually affect amnesia. And they're hoping that, you know, they can advance treatment models based on what they're learning with this MRIs and um, hypnosis in general. But I didn't dive too deep into that. It seemed like that could be a whole episode in and of itself, just amnesia in general, which is fascinating to me also. It seems from the, the pure science, which in this case would be psychology point of view, I read often, I get articles for what we're going to talk about from the, uh, I think it's the American Psychological Association. They, there's a very long article and uh, one of the tidbits that I had highlighted out of it, after decades of searching and sophisticated technology, they haven't yielded a single shred of evidence that hypnosis is an altered state of consciousness. That's their side of that if you will and, yeah i've seen that too and they went it's on to say that it may, it may turn out to be a powerful confluence of much more accessible social and psychological processes rather than a single extraordinary phenomenon so yep, that's where that they're, phrase right they're not dismissing it earlier. they're just saying that at this point and they even talked about it in another part of the article we may not even have the right instruments to measure this right now that that may be right. part of our problem is that we just don't have the right technology or science and understanding to be able to actually tear this apart because they have been unsuccessful at doing it thus far. And there was a professor Barker. I remember being his last name from the university of Kentucky who has used hypnosis, whatever that means in his studies or with patients or whatever for like 20 years. And he even went on to say that it's not this separate entity as far as a state goes, even though he was one that's a, a user of it, if you will. Right. And I think the same article I read also said where they they don't call it hypnosis, but the whole fact that like when the nurse tells you, oh, they're going to feel a little bit of pressure or this, this will hurt a little bit rather than saying this is going to hurt 
really bad. So therefore, to you, you're you're relaxed and you're calm. So maybe it doesn't hurt as much to you, or it, it does, but you are able to control your reaction to it a little better. Um, has it's a similar thing. That quote I said earlier says, "Hypnosis may be the ultimate psychic sales spiel, a way for us to disown powers we already have." And buy them back under a fancy label. I was like, that's kind of harsh, but that might be exactly what's going on with it. And and to put it's just something they're tapping into you already have. Right. Because the, the whole idea between your consciousness and your unconscious and all of that thing. I mean, there's so much we don't know that this is some sort of they're just tapping into something that every person has, and it's you're just using that ability because you know, like dreams and things like that. I mean, we dream every night, but what is a dream? Who knows? This is just. Some way to, I hate to use the word hack because everybody's like life hack. It's some way to hack into that or take advantage of it, I think, and ultimately is, is really all of it is, is, is all that it is. I think one thing we could do is we could, for at least our conversation, we could just say it sets your mindset. You know, that's a phrase that gets used often is what's your right. mindset yep. on X, Y, or Z. If your mindset is negative or if it is positive, I'm not going to say that's going to make you or not make you levitate. But I do think that can, like, if you go into work or your day or a meeting or whatever with a negative and just, or, or like a bulldozer mindset of negativity, that's going to affect how that meeting goes for you versus if you go into it open or neutral or even positive and try to find anything positive about it. For sure. I think that's absolutely true, but that's true for that's true for everyone. So, as far as it relates to hypnosis, you just think that um, people who are going to automatically think that something like that doesn't help them or won't be able, they just won't be able. Probably like me, who I just don't know if I'd be able to sit there and let someone do it to me. Um, but see, they can't control it themselves, so. I think it all it's, it comes back to that it's not it's not this magical thing where you can have these superpowers over somebody it's just a you're just tapping into some kind of um gray area in between consciousness and dream state or just state of mind in general it's but I don't want I hate to say the word state because I don't think it's an altered state of consciousness either I think it's just a I don't know this the the, the language is too inferior or not there's not enough there's not enough words to express exactly the difference between being in a state and it just being an, a relaxed mindset. Because both of those things could probably are probably in the thesaurus are different, you know, meaning or different definitions of the same thing or have the same definition but a different word. So outside of some magical trance, uh, just whatever you want to call it, your mood. So let's say you're, you um, have a lot of uh, what in physical therapy or athletics or whatever you want to call it. This is a physiological thing. You have a lot of trigger points, you know, where you – and just to explain that for anybody has no idea. Um, if you get like knots and muscles, those are what they call trigger points. And they can come from a variety of different things, whether it's an abnormality of electrolytes where you've been real dehydrated or exercising a whole lot. And if you go to, whether it be physical therapy or a, a deep tissue massage to have these, you know, released or kind of smoothed out, if you go into it with the mindset that you're thinking about work or concentrating or even thinking about the cramps that you're having himself, it's your, your body is going to be more resistant to letting that go. Because I know this because I've had many, many, many deep tissue massages for these kind of things. And I have learned it's better to relax just like okay 
you're you're off the hook now. Nobody needs you. The phone's silent, or you're going to ignore it, or whatever. And you need to just relax, relax, relax. Tell it to yourself. I'm not saying you even need to have anybody telling you. There will be two different outcomes in that that you can be resistant to this and fight because it is a little bit painful. And I think if you're one who kind of fights that it's going to be a lot harder for it to go away versus if you kind of give in to it, find, you know, some kind of relaxation in your breathing, it will make it a lot easier for it to go away. Yeah. I think that's, that's been my experience true. anyway. Um, speaking of physical activity, I, I meant to ask you this more earlier during the recording about being in a state, a trans or a trance or whatever you want to call it. What about when you go on these huge long runs? Like I know that natural endorphins get released and that's a whole different thing, but still the idea that like this run doesn't hurt. Like, do you ever go into things like that? Like to, to ignore it, to keep going? Or would you say it's a, some sort of third cousin to I would say that what ne- we're talking about? I, I- personally that's all i can speak for obviously can speak to more of the negative side of that that if you think about the like i'm gonna fail i'm not gonna do this this hurts so bad it it magnifies it and you can't ignore it as much whereas if you can find a way to not think about it whether it be music or something or just soaking in the environment whether it's the cityscape or the woods you will have points where it disappears or you know how like you can have like a hurt foot or whatever and be at work and it seems like whoa it's gonna wait nope there it is i feel it but what you did was you kind of compartmentalized it for a while i think that's what happens is that you have that ability to do like needing to go to the restroom but you have so much work that you can't yeah yeah the same kind (laughs) of thing you're ignoring those pain body signals and that you're able to do that and that is i think more or less controlled by your mindset to a degree yeah, there's no way to do that and then go to the grocery store and pick out a steak. Because when you got to go to the bathroom at the grocery store, you just can't ignore it. <laughs> go to the magazine aisle when you're a kid. And Induction. Your mom's, you just can't. Yeah, okay, I can't I can't find a magazine because I've got to go to the restroom. But yet, when you have a million things to do at work, somehow you can ignore it. It's You hypnotize yourself. You're, you're able guess, to you're, channel your focus <laughs> so intently into things that you tune that out, I think. Going Every back. time I go to the store, or Best Buy, or somewhere, it's okay. Why does this bathroom? <laughs> One of the other science things, which is what I was trying to dig into for proof or disproof of this, uh, I know I don't remember if we talked about it in sleep, but I know I've read a lot about it in sleep, and that is brain waves and particularly the theta waves, which are more active when you're relaxed or, or actually asleep. And in that same article, Uh, from the American uh, Psychology Association, they said, unfortunately, the attempts to find brainwave patterns that distinguish hypnosis from ordinary walking consciousness have not panned out. So even, you know, something tangible that could be measurable, you know, hooked up to an EEG, they they don't see that distinctive a difference, at least enough to prove it or disprove it. That's what I was wondering, because I couldn't run across a definite, I have written down here theta waves as well, but... I didn't know, does that person have a different theta wave at baseline? Like, so do, do more hypnotizable people have a difference in theta wave at baseline? Because I did see some things where it said the theta waves were increased, whatever that means. I don't know if the amplitude or what, when they were hypnotized, but I don't know 
what that means at baseline. So you're saying it says that there was no measurable difference at baseline, or is that just during? Not hypnosis? necessarily measurable, but that the difference is enough warrant to conclude, yes, this is like another state. Mm. No, and, and this didn't, it wasn't uh, an article about that particular study or whatever. They're just saying this in general, because it was a big overview about hypnosis that any of the studies that have ever attempted that, you know, it'd be one of those where it's not statistically significant to say one way that, like, you know, you might find it in small samples, you might find this and that, but nothing has ever shown like, yep, there it is. This is a distinguishing marker. Right. The only, I did run, run across something that said that as far as scientific whatever that you could measure was that it did seem to be that um, people who are more hypnotizable, the anatomy of their brain was a little different. Uh, their, was it the rostrum? was a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. um, which that's in the center of the brain. Kind of, it's kind of like the brain inside the brain, that little thing right inside of the middle of your brain. I forget what it's called. Is that the corpus? I don't remember. But it's part of that, and it's larger in people who are um, uh, able to be hypnotized. And also that's shown to be larger. Um, I don't know if it was people who were less able to pay attention or more able, but that area also controls your ability to pay attention to things. So I don't know if it makes me wonder if people who have a larger rostrum, if those people are more, more have more tendency to be ADHD or vice versa. Um, and how that relates to being hypnotizable. That would be an interesting correlation to find out. Well, here's another statement that kind of backs your idea of attention or using those words where they had experiments that hypnotize subjects to focus their attention elsewhere while receiving mild electric shocks. And they showed a, a decreased, you know, response to the pain, but the same exact effect was song was, was seen when they um, did the same thing without hypnotizing them. So it had more to do with, focusing their attention elsewhere than anything else. Right. Yeah. So they, they didn't hypnotize them, but I think they um, either told them that it wasn't going to be as bad or they like had them just focus on something else. So it's all, that's what I'm saying. It's all, it may not be hypnotism or whatever, Hypnosis. being hypnotized. It's just your, yeah, it's your, um, your brain focusing on something different or activating a different area. Like there, there is something going on is what I'm getting at. It's just probably not, it's not a a magician's trick. Like there's there's really no magic involved. It's just some kind of physiological thing you're accessing or psychological, which the two, you know, this, this whole thing where you, where does psychological and physiological come together? This is somewhere in there that we just don't know. Um, so for someone to say, oh, it's just fake or it's absolutely real, you can't really say that without describing what you mean. I think everyone would probably agree that it's somewhere in that realm of you. there's something going on and you can call it what you want. You can call it hypnosis or you can call it behavioral suggestion or you know, you're tapping into physiological things that everyone can tap into with the right tools. Here's a quote from an MD. Uh, Thurman Mott, who is the editor of the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis. So this is a journal that, you know, is of this business or of the study, not necessarily like an opponent. And his quote is, every time we thought there's a physiological indicator, it hasn't held up. So Yeah, I saw that too in a lot of things. I, I really have gained a lot more, I guess, respect for kind of the idea of it within science because it, and there's a whole lot of charlatans and a lot of just hoodoo, woodoo stuff out there about this. So when you research or Google this yourself, you will find 
all kinds of stuff. But even when you're looking at it from a science and medical point of view, there are people who are legitimately looking at it and legitimately, you know, trying to discover more about it. But even the ones that are kind of in that field, it, it, there's, it's just failed to to fall into like a specific thing that they can define right now. Right. Like, People are trying to figure out how they can be used. Like they're not trying to be this magical person. Like, oh, I'm a hypnotist. I can hypnotize you. Look at me. I'm magical. They're trying to figure out what is going on and how they can use it. Um, something I ran across. I think it's probably in the same article you're talking about, or it's dancing around it. Um, basically, these people who are trying to use it, just you know, genuinely trying to help, not trying to be a magic person that has powers. Um, they're saying that. Using it, it's like using metaphors. Like they said that metaphor is the basic language of hypnosis, um, and so a suggestion. So the, to quote what they say is this. Um, the hypnotist doesn't simply say to a patient who is afraid of flying, you are no longer afraid of flying. Instead, they um, say they might suggest that they imagine riding in a car um, instead of an airplane or say that riding in an airplane is like riding in a car. And so, therefore, it's you know, they just use metaphors to um, – suggest differences how they may perceive it rather than magically you're not going to be afraid of flying a plane just when you're there just kind of think of it as being in a car or um like we were talking about the nurses earlier saying instead of saying this won't hurt a bit say oh you'll feel a little bit of pressure or this won't be that painful it's just it's just they suggest it'll be a little different from what it is and the person has to in some way play along with it and imagine themselves being in that car or imagine it not hurting and being um, more of a pressure than pain and therefore the reaction is more of controlling the reaction to a situation than, than, than actually changing the situation. Eddie. Yep. We had a, we had a blackout there for a moment of communication. I'm not yeah, sure if you could hear me. Beeps. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. uh, you, you can never trust old Skype to make it through a whole episode. <laughs> Not with modern bandwidth. I don't know how much of you heard me either, but we can fix that and edit. <laughs> that that kind of summation toward the end of that article just explained further to me as to how what you do witness or don't witness if your opinion of that of these things is or how it can be useful is like you said you're not saying someone who has a phobia this something is or it's not but you're just kind of overriding with positivity which then kind of calms the nerves about whatever that yeah like look at be. this differently exactly yeah which is which is goes back to what i said you can kind of help bend their mindset but you're not just like snapping something and it also basically, not exactly, I'm going, I'm, going, I'm going to put my own words in on it, but they also basically said someone who doesn't want to change or doesn't, like when you're trying to use it to help people, you're not, it's not going to work on them. Like if they are hell-bent on to keep smoking or whatever you were trying to use them for, um, if they don't want to change, then it's not going to work on them. Like they called it the power to the people experiment. So people who actively are looking for treatment, already have the mindset that they want to change so it will be more susceptible to them rather than you can't just use it on somebody who's like refuses to quit smoking or they don't think they'll be able to quit so that right. it's not going to um, work on something like that which is why i tell the ones that are getting whatever smoking aid 
If you tell me you want to be a non-smoker, you're ready for this. If you don't, then this is just part of the trials of getting there. Because I don't think until you have that want to be on the other side, nothing will work. They they told us in smoking secession um, therapeutics classes that when people will come up to you and ask, for instance, which works better, these patches, this gum, uh, prescriptions, they always said that what what worked for the person the most, what had the best success rate, is what the person thought would work best for them. And that so if is you come up there and you, they think that. If they think the gum won't work and the patch won't work and all they got to have is a prescription, then they probably need to get a prescription like Chanix or something like that. Um, or if they come up to the counter and they've got like the gum, like the nicotine gum, and they say, you know, do you think this is better than the patches or do you think the patches are better? But they already have the gum. That tells me that they kind of think the gum is going to be better or it could be a financial thing. I'm not sure if the prices are on the difference. I think they're similar. Right. Then I'll usually say, yeah, the Gum works pretty good. A lot of people have good success because they already think it's going to work. So if you tell them that, it's like positive reinforcement, and then therefore maybe it will work. And that's absolutely been shown to be the success rates are higher if the person thinks that whatever option they choose um, will work. It's more of that placebo effect, I guess. Yep. Outside of that, and when someone I'm in a discussion with somebody about a choice of some kind, and I can tell which way they're leaning, and if there's a pretty good reliability that either of these roads are going to get them there i just keep leaning them in the one they're already leaning towards because they already have the motivation behind it yep so all that being said do you think you'd be able to be hypnotized after reading all this if do you think you could turn it off your your whatever like no you're not going to hypnotize me i don't know if i could or not I, i'm interested in trying i it. think i can more now after having read and researched all this because before just thinking i am just this only local i'm just this i'm that but now i'm taking it back to let's do this as an experiment you know i would want to have someone with me because i want you to film it and everything and right. i'm going to go into be ex- it in this definitely need to be state. in a relaxed state of mind right yeah, i'm going to go into it with the state that in my exploration, it is an attempt to do it instead of this constantly. Is it happening? Is it happening? Is it ha-? You know what I mean? Yep. And that in and of itself should affect it according to everything that we've read or watched. Right. And that's th- now the approach I'd want to have to it for it to, you know, kind of materialize if it can. Well, I hope that we haven't hypnotized everyone to sleep. I hope this has been interesting for everybody. I, it was fascinating for me to read. Uh, I, I had tons more notes that uh, all kind of said the same thing, and I think we summarized it in a nutshell way that it's not, in my opinion, not, and in this case we both agree, it's not a separate state in terms of being like sleep. It's something we just don't really know what it is yet, and that, by that I mean yep. science. Yep. On the same realm of hope we didn't put you to sleep, if you listen to the show or there's something you want us to talk about or whatever, let us know. We were talking about this pre-show. I just wondered who all is listening. If you're a regular listener or you listen every now and then, um, shoot me a message if you know me or if you don't know me. Or shoot Darren one or just do it to the page. ThoughtWorksPodcast um, at gmail.com, just like it yep. sounds. You can send an email. You can send a message on the Facebook page. 
however you want to do it. Say, hey, yeah, I listen. I like these episodes. I don't like these. I wish you would get rid of Darren. He sucks. <laughs> whatever it is that you think we need to do to make the show better, um, or Eddie go drive we, off we the are, cliff, whatever it we is. We are susceptible. <laughs> we, we might even do a show of him driving off You could off hypnotize the us. <laughs> Let us know, because we don't really hear from a lot of people um, unless we directly ask them. So if we don't know you absolutely personally, and we do have – Listeners that are far um, and, right and wide yeah, when it comes to the geography. All over the place. Uh, let us know what you like and what you don't like or a topic or whatever. Just say, hey, yeah, I listen. I've listened to every episode. Or, you know, don't be afraid. I mean, if uh, if you're an old friend we didn't know from a long time ago and or, you know, we knew you from a long time ago but don't speak now, that's even better because that means you're not going to be biased. Um, so let us know what's good, what's not good, if you want to hear something in particular, and if you want me to get rid of Darren. Just let me know. <laughs> Yep. Reach out with it. We have a list of running topics that we think of all the time and always looking to add more to it. I don't think either of us curiosity is ending anywhere in the near future, but there's definitely some ideas we haven't thought of. I'm sure that list does not get smaller. It just gets bigger and bigger as as hard as we try to record constantly. That list just grows and grows and grows. That's it. Well, I don't have any more to add to it. How about you? No, other than it would be interesting a follow-up for us to try to go get hypnotized mm. or just to try to do it. That's something I wondered when I was looking at it was could just a regular person just try to figure out. Like it seemed like the techniques would be learnable and find someone who is highly like would be susceptible. Maybe we should try that to somebody we know like in a just in a friend group setting and just to see if we could do it. All right. Be, in the event we have success, we'll call that hypnosis part two and have a follow-up. That's right. And then we'll try to do an episode and do it. That'd be great. All right. Well, well it's still sunny here, so I'm going to go try to enjoy that before the supposed storms arrive. Yeah, same here. I've got stuff to do, and I'd rather do it dry than wet. And give out the email address one more time. Thoughtworkspodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think. That's See you next time. All right. Take care. Bye. Seen a bunch of run-down no-horse towns Where the church is the backbone, loves and the plow And the five-string melodies grooving